Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We have a very, very special guest today. We have one of the greatest to ever do it. Somebody that can put a racket down, pick it back up, come back and win a slam. Uh, and put it down again. Uh, this is Hall of Famer um, and comeback kid, uh, Kim Kleisters. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Kamal. So how's Jersey? You know, I know you like had to move from Belgium where you're like a god and a queen and could probably run for president. And now you got, <laughs> now you got to go to Jersey, which is like the stepson of New York. How, how do you like it in Jersey? We, we really enjoy living here. Um, it's obviously been an adjustment. We, we decided a few years ago, we started talking about it a few years ago about making the move and wanted to wait for Jada to finish uh, sixth, uh, sixth year in, in grammar school and uh-huh. uh, sixth grade. And because uh, so, that's in Belgium, that's when they changed to high schools after sixth grade. So uh-huh. we were like, let's wait until she finishes her school. The boys were still young enough to not be too influenced by the whole kind of change and everything. And so, yeah, so then COVID hit and kind of made it all a little bit more complicated, but um, moved last summer, uh, end of June, and uh, we've been here ever since. So I've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we've had a lot of things to, to focus on with, you know, just getting two containers shipped over from Belgium and, and with all our stuff and trying to kind of fit it all in, in the home that we had here. And, uh, and then just to, you know, the goal kind of is to just make the kids settle in as soon as possible, right? Like to, to see like the school and everything, like, are they happy there? And, and to make them feel comfortable. And the family's been great here to help us out with anything that we needed. Um, but I enjoy it. I mean, I've had people from the tour who were like, so where are you living now? I'm like in New Jersey. And they're like, New Jersey? Like, why do you want to live in New Jersey? And I'm like, no, it's actually really nice where we live. And um, so I, I do really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's been an adjustment, but I finally feel like, you know, been been here for a year now that we've all settled in well and uh, we're kind of used to to the life here now now most people don't know because you know your husband brian is uh, a basketball coach so people don't know like how did you all decide on jersey was it because he had a job there opportunity there or is he from jersey he is from here he is from here so we live in belmar new jersey and uh, we live a block from the beach um he this is the street where he grew up in um, so his whole family's in the area, a lot of friends here in the area. And um, so that, that side's been great. Um, you know, his parents used to come and visit us, you know, a few months every year. They used to fly to Belgium or when Brian was either still playing or when he was coaching um, in, in, in Belgium, he, they would, you know, come down for, you know, a few weeks here and there. But just with everything, it's been like they're getting a little bit older and it's, it's just becoming harder and harder to travel. And so, you know, we wanted to be here and, and see you know, what this life was all about. And, and we've been living together for 15 years in Belgium. And um, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a nice change. And, you know, it, it seems like it's all like all of a sudden or something new, but I've been coming here for 15 years. I've traveled to the States so many times. So it's, it's not like it's, 
you know, such a huge culture shock for me. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty easy, I think, to, to adjust. Well, it's funny because you came back and you moved to Jersey. And, and when people think of tennis players, they always think any tennis player in the States lives in Florida, California. They don't think Jersey. But I try to remind people, you know, James Blake is from the Northeast. Jack Sock is from Kansas City. Yeah. Andy Roddick was from Nebraska. You know, Donald Young, Taylor from Chicago. There's definitely been some players that have, like, been able to build a career in a cold weather state. Look, I'm from Belgium. I never moved out of Belgium until until last year. So for me, being in in Belgium my whole career, you know, a tennis court is the same size no matter where you play, right? So yeah. I I enjoy playing in the heat. I enjoy playing indoors. Um, I feel like it's helped me to adjust in different circumstances. Um, so you know, there was always little changes here and there that I had to make. Like if I had to travel from Belgium or even from here now, if I would go to Australia or in the past when I traveled from Europe, you know, middle, middle of winter to Australia, I would try to, you know, maybe go a week or 10 days earlier than I usually would. So just to try to get my body adjusted a little bit more. And I would try to do, you know, some workouts in a sauna or just to get myself like my body used to being in that heat. So it's all, I mean, it's all the same. It's just, I don't, I don't stress about those things too much. You know, tennis court is the same size all over the world. I agree. So you talked about your body, right? Most people don't know that you were like bred to be an athlete. I mean, <laughs> your dad was an athlete. Your mom was a gymnast, right? You yeah. know, those splits that you're famous for doing on the court. I mean, that was like in the blood, right? That wasn't something you practiced. It was like the balance, the change of direction, the speed. It was like, tell us about your parents. That was definitely not something I practiced. And I do, you know, for me, you know, and my sister having our parents was just because you're your parents. It's normal, right? It's normal. My mom would sometimes show off in our backyard and do like a, like a, I don't know what you call it in English, like a, like a cartwheel without hands. And she would like be doing that when we were, you know, eight, 10, 10, 11 years old. So I always saw her doing things like that just for the fun of it. Or when we asked her kind of to, to show some moves or something, it was so easy for her. We always did a lot of stretching when we were younger with her. And then my dad being a soccer player, um, you know, at a high level was, was, you know, maybe not so much the soccer skills, but I think in my childhood, picking up the things that I picked up just by being around him and seeing, you know, how we would recover from a surgery. Um, you know, I, he would get, you know, put a stopwatch around my neck and they say, let's go. We're going to go to the forest. I have to sprint some hills up the hill and I want you to time me every time and write it down. So little things like that, that you kind of just pick up that become, that are normal in, in our lifestyle, um, in our family. Be, yeah. It's just something that we we were brought up with and, and having my dad been in, in, in a situation where, you know, he was, you know, a known athlete at home and um, it just made things easier. You know, he, you know, when I became more famous and everything, you know, he was there kind of to protect it and a new kind of the ins and outs of that whole, you know, that world and, and, you know, the sharks that attack all of a sudden and, and all that stuff. So it's been, it's been, those have been huge yeah, bonuses, I think, for me, now that I'm older and I look back on it. And my dad passed away, you know, 12 years ago. But still, you know, th those thoughts and, and the, the routines and the habits that you build as a child, they stay, stay with you forever. And, and that's what we teach our kids now, too. So it's, it's, it's great. So you were the first Belgian player to be number one in the world. So I relate to that story because when I think about, like, tennis now, 
you think about uh, like the Cocos, the the Sloans, the Venus Arena, the all of these people who were like, you know, really shouldn't be there, you know, and were like sort of figuring their way out. Didn't come from a lot of like tennis lineage. No. How did that happen? Because you know, it's easy when your parents are former tennis players or they know, okay, look, when you're 12, you play this tournament. When you're 13, you play this tournament. Then you go super nationals. But how did you make it, given the fact that you're, neither your parents played tennis, you were in a country that wasn't famous for producing tennis players, you know, how did you make it there? Um, so my first contact with tennis was um, my mom traveled to a tournament where I guess the wives got invited to go to one of the soccer games or the soccer tournaments. And she, so they left us with um, my aunt and uncle and my two cousins. And my two cousins were a little bit older than me. I think I was four at the time. Um, my two uh, cousins who were a little bit older than me were going to their local tennis club because they were just hitting, they were having a, a lesson together. And, and I kind of stood on the side of the fence and I saw them like hitting all these balls. And I was like, kind of like, hmm, that, that looks like fun. So the coach at some point was like, hey, do you want to come and, and like hit a few balls? And I started helping to pick up the balls first. And then, and then when they were done, I just started hitting some balls and I, I, I like loved it. And my parents came home from the trip and I was like, I want to play tennis. So it was really something that came from me. It wasn't something that was forced upon me. It wasn't, you know, my parents who saw a dream, you know, or saw a, a women's sport and saw them, yeah, saw it as an opportunity for, you know, for, for me to grow up learning. It was really something that I felt like I really enjoyed doing. And, and I think that's, you know, to this day, like I enjoy playing tennis. Like I, I like to practice, I like to hit. And, and like, even if girls, like there were some girls who were here from the open, like, you know, training here. And, and I just wanted to like hit, like, tell me what you want me to do. Like, I'll be your hitting partner for the, for, you know, <laughs> for a few hours. And I really enjoy like hitting, hitting the ball. And it's kind of like a, yeah, it's a good workout. I enjoy, I enjoy the focus um, in there. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 so that connection, I guess, to my past has always been something that I needed to feel like the, the enjoyment of, of that. I love for this, the sport, you know, that that's something that to this day I feel. Yeah. Introducing Coco golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of nineties inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG one empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG one at newbalance.com. And then when you started getting good, were there academies in Belgium or did you have to travel to like nearby countries to sort of get like that next level of training? So I feel like the academies have really just stepped up, like they have only in the last few years that, that has become more and more popular. Um, you know, we have our federation, but before I, I was invited to go to the federation, I think my parents just looked at some local tennis clubs. Um, you know, we, we, I went to school, normal hours, you know, whatever, 8.30 to 3.30 and then you know, would go to a, the local tennis club and, and get either a private lesson or a group session or whatever, whatever worked. And, um, and then gradually, you know, started doing better. And then, yeah, I remember at one point, I, I remember even my, my parents um, got invited. They, uh, to go, we got this invitation to go to Bolletieri to, to move to Florida and they wanted to, you know, move my parents there and even my grandparents. And I was like, <laughs> why? Like I, you know, and my dad, I think that my dad always had a very um, kind of down to earth mentality where, you know, like, like, what are they going to teach her different than, 
you know, people who are committed to, you know, putting their time and their passion and their effort into teaching, you know, a young girl here. Like it's, it's the, again, the court is the same, you know, the facilities are, you know, probably the weather is better. That's, that's the biggest difference. And, you know, I, I, yeah. And that's how I grew up. So I never doubted anything. I just went for it. Every time I stepped on the court, I, I, I think my mindset was just to, to make the best of it because I had fun and I'd love to learn. And yeah. So, and then I went to the Federation uh, when I came to a point where, you know, I was able to travel a little bit and, and travel with a team and, and under 14s and juniors and everything, I, I decided to go to the Federation and loved it, loved it from the first second, you know, stayed in a boarding room and, and uh, with, you know, still, my, you know, my best friend to date was, you know, the girl who, who slept in the room next to me. And um, yeah, we were lucky enough to play some tournaments together on tour and, and to play some doubles together. And so it's, who was that? Uh, Caroline Maas, he oh. was, I think her highest ranking was at 150 or at 160 maybe, uh-huh. but um, so she, you know, we would, we would go to the States together and we would train a little bit or, or to Australia and then train. And then she would go to play like some smaller tournaments while I would go to play my tournaments and, and then we would catch up again. So it was a really cool lifestyle for us, you know, being so young and everything. So we really, um, yeah, we really, really enjoyed it there's so many people who ask me like don't you feel like you missed out on your childhood and and you know the the going to college and the partying at school and I was like no like I don't feel like that like I feel so lucky that I've been able to to do what I love doing and 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 travel the world and yeah seeing all these cool places um yeah yeah I always people always say that you know like um when I think about tennis players they think that we've been robbed of our childhood yeah. And it's not like you've been right. It's just a different childhood. It's yeah. it's sort of you you grow up faster because you start traveling sooner. You start meeting people who speak different languages and trying different foods. So you sort of mature faster. Um, yeah, and you're by yourself a lot more too, right? Like I've spent a lot of time by myself in a hotel room, and and so that gives you a lot of time to think and 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 kind of to reflect on what's going on and um, and. You know, everything is kind of very individual, like like even with working with a coach, it's very one on one. So there's a lot of personal communication, um, I think. And that's something that I've really. Yeah, I think now to this day, like I, I feel like I can. I take a lot out of from what I learned when I was younger, how important it is in tennis to, you know, from from when I was a young girl, it's everything is how do you how did you feel today out on court? How did that forehand feel when you hit a good one? What what do you feel you did wrong when you hit it in the net this time? So everything you connect with, how did that feel? And mm-hmm. I feel like that's been something that's um, that is so important for tennis players is uh, is is that we learn that at such a young age and we take that on through whatever, you know, if you start businesses afterwards or, or um yeah it's, it's so important to kind of feel what or learn to see or understand what feels right to you and, and follow that that direction so you won your first grand slam in 2007 right 2005 2005 u.s open was the first US open yeah talk about feeling how did that feel Oh, mixed emotions. Um, it was uh, all good ones. Um, but um, so I lost my first four Grand Slam finals before I won my first one. So I lost to Jennifer Capriati at the French Open. And then I lost my next three to Justine. And so for a few years, I remember going into the press conference and they were always asking me, do you feel like you're too nice to win? Do you feel like you're too nice to win? And do you think you're ever going to win a Grand Slam? I was like, 
I can only try. Like I've, I've, you know, I've beat all these girls at all the other tournaments. So why wouldn't I be able to? And, and um, ju just like reflecting back on how I felt the most disappointing part of that, of losing those finals was that I'd never felt like I was able to play my best tennis in the mm -hmm. finals. I was always, mm -hmm. you know, more nervous. I felt a little more like, Ooh, like this is, you know, like this is like a huge dream come true if I can win a grand slam and, and like I'm one match away and those emotions kind of overcame kind of my body and my thoughts and everything. So I just really felt like when I, in 2005, um, I, yeah, all of a sudden I just felt more calm. I don't know. I mm -hmm. think it was the experience of losing a few times, like knowing how that <laughs> felt and not be wanting to be in that position again made me feel like okay like I feel more at ease now in this situation and and just focus on the tennis part of it and and was I was able to from there onwards like in, in the big matches play some of my best tennis so it's all a part of I guess maturing um you know we've seen players do the opposite right play their first grand slam and win and then kind of struggle with what comes afterwards and um and so you know, I was really close in my first Grand Slam at the French Open against Capriati, and who knows what would have happened if I would have won that that match, right? I don't feel that I was ready. Now I, I'm I'm almost happy that it happened the way it did because I wasn't mm -hmm. ready for what happens when you win a Grand Slam and the lifestyle that comes with it. So, so yeah, it, it happened all very kind of organically, naturally, and and I grew into the maturity um, on court that I needed in in those big moments. So it's funny you say, like, when you win your first Grand Slam, it's like you got to be ready for what comes after, right? Because I think, you know, when Sloan, when I coached Sloan and she won her first Grand Slam in 2017, I don't think either of us was, like, ready for the target that's on your back, the expectation that every time you lose, now it's like a career win for somebody else and, like, you know, global headline that yeah. you lose. What um, – I think about the girl, Emma. Emma played our 125 here in Chicago before the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. And she lost in the finals, right, to another teenager. And then she wins. And when she won, I couldn't help but, like, feel like, uh-oh. Yeah, I her. have the same feeling. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, it's so great. Her life's about to change, da-da-da. It was kind of like, uh-oh. For me, like, right. my mother instinct kicked it, kicks in, right? Like, when I saw her and afterwards, like, I saw some people of her team, and I was like, I hope she has good people around her who keep her, you know, who keep her kind of like, who filter, you know, the toxicity that comes at you, right? And and as much as possible, you can kind of, you know, you can't live in a bubble, but yeah, you just hope that, yeah, I don't know, like that it stays healthy, right? I think that's the whole point of it. Like, I think that she, she's still so innocent and so natural out there and, and which is what I absolutely loved. I can't, I don't, I, I don't even know how many times I've used the word like, amazing, incredible these last like few days since she's won the tournament, because that's, it's been an incredible story. And, and um, yeah, to see her win and to see it with, to see her do it with such natural flair and, and the on-court interviews, the intercourts in the, in the TV studios afterwards, like it's just amazing to see her do that. So I hope that, yeah, it doesn't change um because i do feel like it can change right because of of the the things that you meet and that's not you know a lot of people don't talk about that like is there's even people close to you will change people you know will want something from you all the time and it and it changes your whole the whole dynamic of your 
you know, environment. And, and, and so those are all different situations that you have to go through. And, um, but yeah, it's a part of growing up. <laughs> so like somebody said, somebody asked me if you had, you know, if you could like give her a piece of advice, what would you, her or her coach, right? Cause her coach was here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he was wearing like the hat from the Chicago tournament here. Like it's his good luck hat every time. And mine was like, remain grateful. Yeah. Like that, that would be like just the one thing I would say. What would you tell her, you know, you know, finish after this win? What would you tell her as a piece of advice? Um, I mean, remaining grateful, I think it's definitely uh, on top of the board. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, what, what is important is not get sucked into the, into the fakeness of, of that kind of world. Um, and with fakeness, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but there's all of a sudden there's so much that gets thrown at you. And, and it's, I get it. Like it's a lot of things are very tempting, right? The money, the, the, oh, let me be, let me do this. And let me be on the cover of that. And let me meet those people. And, and, but at, at the, it all drains and takes energy away from, from the players. So from when you get, you know, I assume her goal and, and any tennis player's goal is when you step out there is to be the best, the best tennis player that you can be. And those things are all little yeah, energy eaters, I call them. And, and, and energy that's, vampires. And, yeah. And they need, and you need that energy, right. For when you step out on court and, and maybe not in the first round, maybe not in the second round, but when you get to a quarterfinal or a semifinal and it's four all in the third, and it's like those moments make a big difference and, and that extra energy. And, um, so for me, I think it would probably be something like that is hopefully her management or, you know, whoever's close to her team, her parents are able to kind of create a good schedule for her so that she's you know able to still kind of follow up on the interest, outside interest that she has, right? That keep her happy and healthy. And, but at the same time also, you know, make sure that she create, like keeps that focus on, on, on the tennis part of it all. So let me ask you this, Dan, because now that you're like jumping back into it, right, and you're playing, you know, when I look at, you know, that tournament, I look at, you know, the past couple of slams. Um, I remember 2019, I think there was like 19 different winners, the first 19 tournaments of the of the year. And I, re I remember thinking like any girl could win every week. You know what I mean? So like when you look at somebody that didn't even get to the, into a 125 two weeks before the Open. Mm. Got in the car. I mean, I had to give her a wild card, right? Then she played qualities of the open, ends up winning the whole thing. Do you now, as you're stepping back into playing, do you feel like, or when you decide to come back, did you look at tennis and like, if they could win, I could win? You know, what was the thought? Not really. It was more, an, for me, it was an internal kind of thought, like an internal motivation um, and a challenge for myself, I think, where I was like, hmm, I wonder if I can still compete. And, and, um, and I felt, you know, there were little triggers throughout, you know, when I hit with different players here and there and I was like, oh, that kind of felt good. But then, you know, it, it's just a practice. It's not, you know, a full on tournament. And I obviously have to get fitter and I have to get stronger and I have to, you know, my reactions, my eyesight, everything, I, you know, just needs to like come back. And, and, and that's been the challenge. And that's why like, I've loved listening and, and watching Andy Murray, you know, go through his, you know, his thoughts and he's been so open and in his interviews about how he feels and what his reasoning is of playing. And, and, and it is, you know, I still love doing what I do. Um, I feel very lucky that I've been able to throughout my career, you know, stop when I, when I did stop, 
you know, I was very early when I had Jada. Um, I was 25, I think, but that was always a part of my go- like childhood dreams was to be a mom and to. So when that happened, I met my husband, and it was a, a you know, I, so I feel very lucky that I've listened to myself and that I've followed up with you know how I was feeling because I know there's a lot of girls out there who are doubting, oh, like what am I doing? Why am I still on tour? Should I? Should I? I want to start a family, but I don't, you know, I still want to make money. I want to have. I want, I still need to, you know, keep my points up and I can't disappoint my sponsors. And so I feel very happy that I've been able to do it how I did it. That doesn't mean that it would work for other people, obviously, but for me, it was something that was important because in those moments, I didn't feel the passion and I didn't feel like, yeah, that I could give my sport everything that I had. And so, yeah, it's been, it's, yeah, that was important. I think for me to follow, you know, my, my individual goals. So you retire the first time. You like Michael Jordan, right? You get to come back, right? And do it all. You like, you never realize that you're the Michael Jordan of our sport, right? You retire and come back. Um, a little, maybe a little retired. segment. I know, right? <laughs> but you retired at 23. Yeah, I'm I'm so bad with like 23 years retired. and dates and yeah. Something around retired, that. And it was like, did you look up and say, wow, I'm only 23? I hope to live till I'm 85. No, I didn't think like that. No, that's the thing. I didn't, I don't think like that. I think like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy playing anymore. Like I wasn't happy traveling. I wasn't happy. Like I would, I remember like playing in Warsaw one year and I, I I don't know who I beat in the first round. I won and I'm coming off the court and I'm like, like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy doing this. I could like, like I cried and my dad was there with me and he's like, what's going on? Like, why are you feeling like this? And so I just started talking to him and like, it was a lot of things. And, you know, like, I'm very happy that I was able to like verbally explain that I didn't enjoy, you know, that the lifestyle anymore, that it became too draining and that it, and, you know, also, cause I met Brian and I wanted, you know, he was home and I wanted to spend a little bit more time at home. And so, yeah, so that, that just, was why I decided to quit so early because I, I wasn't doing, you know, what to me was the most normal thing to do was to be fully committed and focused on tennis. I couldn't do it anymore. And, Mm. and so then there was no point because then I felt guilty on court. I felt like I wasn't, yeah, being who I, you know, the the best tennis player that I wanted to be when I, when I'm out there. And um, so, yeah. So like, I always, you know, talk about, you know, when I first started coaching, you know, I, I didn't have any kids at the time, you know what I mean? So it was easier, right? It was, I had just got married, but you know, whatever, I'll go, you know, I was coaching somebody, I was playing qualities, whatever, I'll be gone a couple of days, we'll lose, we'll be back home, you know what I mean? Um, but then the better you do, like as a player, the longer you're on the road, right? So it's sort of, you know, you, you talked about, you want to spend more time at home, but like at your level where you're like the best player in the world, you're like every slam, you're there for two weeks, mm. you know what I mean? And then you're going there. Like if, if you get done late at, you know, French open, you got to stay on the road and go straight to Wimbledon. You know, you don't get to go home and have like a one week break. And so I think that makes it hard. And I think like, you know, you, you know, Brian's a basketball player. Traveling in tennis is not like traveling in the NBA. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're on and off the airplane. It's not like a team plane and a team jet. You know, you're like, oh, no. stop over in Ireland and then got to go to Luxembourg. You know, it's like all these other things. It's a very different lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, it's not that players are ungrateful, but I think it's still challenging. And I think, you know, people say, well, 
Kim, you're making a lot of money. You're making your own TV. You're doing this. How could you be unhappy? You know what I mean? And we hear it so often. You know, so so what was so if someone asked you, what well, you're making a lot of money, you're top five in the world, you're on TV, how could you be unhappy? Well, yeah, I wasn't unhappy because I felt like I was not able to to play the sport the way that I want to play it. And that is knowing that I want I need to put the time in, um, have my goals, have my my individual goals, but then also the long-term goals. And to me, it just it just felt so overwhelming and it felt so like like, yeah. I've been doing this, you know, I was young. I was also very young when I, you know, when I started playing on tour. So, and, and again, it was, you know, the, the intensity for many years was, was very high. I feel very lucky that Brian, you know, was at an age where he, he quit playing basketball. We had Jada. So when I started again, you know, we were able to travel together as a family. So I didn't have to leave them behind. I think there was, you know, in those, in those uh, three years or so, there was, you know, one tournament where they didn't travel with me. And that was Doha, the, the championships in Doha. So I feel very lucky that they have been able to travel with me. Um, now things are obviously different. You know, Jada, she's 13. She's taller than me. She has her, her own, you know, basketball games that she plays, her school. And so they have their own schedule and everything. And, and so she's like, mom, I don't even want to go with you anymore. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> so it's a different, if it, she wants to be home, she wants to go and, and hang out with her friends and, and train for basketball. And, and that's totally fine. And, um, so it's different. Things have shifted. The boys do. They, um, I remember Jack, um, I came home from practice one time and I'm all sweaty and she's like, mom, he's like, mom, what'd you do? Like, why are you all sweaty? And I said, I went to play tennis. He's like, you play tennis. <laughs> That's what he said. So I was like, yes, I do. And, um, so yeah, just funny how things like change. And, and I was in New York for a few days recently for the open and three days and my two little ones they missed me it, it, it looked like I was gone for a month like they came home and they they jumped I came home and they jumped on me and they're like mom we missed you and so it's um yeah it just changes the, the the dynamic in the family a little bit too but I enjoy you know my goal with me playing now was never to be to be playing you know 15 tournaments a year you know it was to play a few tournaments here and there get to a level where I'm capable of I know I've never been the player who needs a lot of matches, who needs, who needs um, hours and hours upon the tennis court. Even now, like when I have a few days off, like I can step out there and I'm hitting the ball clean. I'm, you know, for me, it's more important for me to recover and to be healthy. I think that's, that's my main focus now these days. So um, I feel like I'm, I'm hitting the ball. Well, the best that I've hit since, you know, I started, since I started two years ago, a year and a half ago. Um, so that's, that's been my main priority is to to make sure that for me the balance has to be there right like i'm i'm very happy that school started again so i can i can send them off to school and then i can go do practice i can do my recovery i can do a fitness workout and then by the time that i have to go pick them up at school my my day is is almost you know for my tennis is almost over um maybe besides like a recovery whatever infrared sauna or a or a bike ride or a massage but everything and then in the afternoon everything is based around the kids schedule well my kids are going to be so disappointed because your kids are not coming to chicago well i'm there 
Because I told, oh, yeah, you're going to have to wrestle with him again. I'll be because the Because they were like, are our friends from Jersey going to come? You know, the one with the mom that was crawling on the floor with us? I was like, I don't know if they're coming, but I think they're coming. And they're like, yeah, we can't wait to beat them up. They were like, I'm excited. I got to tell them. Yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. Coming. They're not coming. You're going to have to beat up the oh, mother. No, no. <laughs> so I remember last year, you talk about, like, you not being a player that didn't, that didn't need hours and hours on the court. I remember the first time I was on the opposite side of the court with you. I was hitting with somebody. And you were literally hitting them off the court. And they were like, this old lady is hitting me off the court. I said, yeah, that old lady is hitting the best ball that I've ever seen anybody hit. I was like, that is amazing that she can like <laughs> see a ball, hit the ball in the middle of the racket and hit the ball in that spot every single time. I just remember like the purest ball striking I've ever seen. And I was like, now that's why she can come back and win a slam after not playing for two years. Because if she sees it, it's done. Do you still feel that? Yeah, I mean, I still feel like I can hit the ball clean and, and that my timing is good. And um, yeah, I still, it's a natural thing and I can't describe why that is. Um, it, it just falls into place. Serving sometimes is a little harder. I feel like the timing of, of the serve can get a little off at times. Yeah. Um, but that's been improving, so I feel lucky with that too. Um, but I feel like my ground, my ground shots, I feel, yeah, I feel like it's all pretty clean. And, and I like to, you know, hit the targets and I like to give myself those challenges when I'm, you know, hitting the cones and all this stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's still fun. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So let me ask you this. So when you're on tour, right, everybody sort of, you know, when they get, when they first arrive on tour, somebody like just beats their ass where it was like oh my god like I'm not sure if I can do this when you arrived on tour what was the first who was the first person that like sort of welcomed you to the tour like yeah little girl this ain't little juniors this is grown woman tennis uh, oh in that sense I was about to say like who was like the nicest person one of the few people who I, I remember just being on tour there was a few girls that were incredible, right? Like, cause I can imagine if you all of a sudden this 15 year old or whatever comes on and is like, Hey, would you like to practice? Um, <laughs> Chanda Rubin was incredible. She was super nice. Like her and Benny, like her coach, like they were, yeah, we always had really fun practices. And um, so super nice. Uh, Italian Silvia Farina uh, mm -hmm. was one of the nicest women on tour um just in the locker room talking and everything um, i remember the first time steffi graf spoke to me <laughs> she probably doesn't remember but the first time she talked to me was at the french open in the susan longland locker room and um it's just those little moments for me as a as a teenager and stepping into that world where you feel so kind of uncomfortable and not not even like you belong there yeah, those are the little moments that kind of over time make you feel at ease, uh, you know, and then luckily I had some girls who were my age, Elena Dokic, um, Alexandra Stevenson, you know, Dementieva, Miskina, we were all coming from juniors and all of a sudden we're, you know, playing each other on, on the tour level and um, so it, that it was nice to have have them around too. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, 
yeah, I, I enjoyed, um, I'm trying to think probably, I mean, one of the matches probably, and it maybe refreshed my mind because I saw some of it on, on, uh, some of the, uh, on, during the, uh, some highlights that they showed of Serena, um, I think winning her first us open was against her first round there was against me. And, and so for me, I, I was up five, two and a third. And all of a sudden she's like, bang, 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 ace, you know, my arm all of a sudden, like serving for the match, my arm feels like it's like a hundred kilos. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't even lift my rackets. I'm so nervous. So that's where I felt like, okay, this is a different level. Like she steps it up when she feels like stepping it up yeah. and can do it. And, um, and that was an incredible kind of like, moment where i was like all right this is this is yeah she's different she's able to step it up on a different level uh, so who was the one player that always struggled so i always say like you know no matter how good you are there's somebody they could be ranked 50 60 70 spots below you but when that draw comes out you like please don't let me play this person who was the one person that no matter if you're number one in the world or not that just gave you trouble i mean justine hennon was was very tough for me to play against um, I think also a little bit because of the history and and because um, you know being a, a fellow like countryman and and yeah. the way that she played um, you know with her slices and everything and the variety in her game it was just um, was really tough to play. Um, I'm trying to think. She didn't give you nothing to hit. She put that ball so low you can't knock yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. She would chip that return. You know, I'd be like, ooh, like where do I run to now? And, <laughs> um, so no, that was definitely uh, definitely tough. But then again, like you, I lost her a few times and then, and then you like a Peter and then it, you feel like a change in, in like confidence, right? Like, but there was definitely a few years where I felt like, whoo, like it's, it's too consistent to the variety is too, too hard for me to deal with. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably think that's her. That would be the one. That'd be the one. <laughs> yeah. so, so now you've played in three different eras, right? You played in the graph time you played when serena and venus were coming on to the tour and now you're playing in this era and to me this era is so different because it includes social media it includes all the press stuff and you can see now how it's challenging for these new girls right mm -hmm. dealing with the mandatory press and the questions right and uh social media and how people can sort of get at you just with a click of a button they can dm you and it hits your phone and people who would never be able to touch you back in 2003, some dude in Austria now is like all of a sudden sent you a DM and you can sort of see their reaction to it. What do you think is different from like that era to this one, just in terms of the pressure of playing? Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I'm, I'm sure it is different. Um, I see a difference even with my daughter, you know, with the way that how easy how easy it is to communicate through the phone but not person to person um and i think that's something that is you know even in the last few few months on tour like a, a lot of kids i didn't do my social media i i didn't i couldn't care less about my social media like that's just how i am because i don't find any value in that like i don't um but i a lot of people see it as a a part of the brand now and i get it right like I, it's, it's part of of who you are but i've yeah i i struggle with it sometimes to be honest with you like seeing young girls and and, and even with my daughter like we really try to focus on like not 
worrying about that stuff and not that's not important at all in your life um mm -hmm. so that's what we really try to focus on um yeah i do believe that at some point it's going to change <laughs> that mm -hmm. and that social media um the the negative effects of it all um that people are and you see it more and more people take a break breaks from it and then they kind of go back into it because they feel like they kind of need to stay on top of things and and then they kind of feel like huh well it's all kind of fake anyway so i don't <laughs> so I, I i mean that's how i feel and and but again yeah i do think it's harder for a lot of girls just because you can because there is so much more contact right people can just text you and and or get get your information or get closer to you and um and i think there's also something about the fact that you know you're just let's say in a room by yourself and you you tweet or you you post a photo and then and then you kind of put it away and think that's it but then you don't like a, you know the impact of something like that is so much bigger than what sometimes you may be intended to be and um so yeah i i don't i'm not a big fan <laughs> <laughs> you probably get that by now. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. So yeah. a lot of people don't know, but you started the Kim Kleist's Academy back in your hometown. And, you know, obviously got mine in Chicago and it's rough, you know, trying to raise the next generation, dealing with tennis parents, trying to get them like, you know, hey, you're going to get a lot of information from everywhere, but this is what you got to do. These are the steps you take. Why did you start that? I mean, I did it in my neighborhood just because there was a void and I was grateful for what tennis gave me. I wanted to give other people that same opportunity. Uh, but why do you, very few players start in the camp, you know, Novak has his and, um, but for, why do you for start? Me it, was, it was mainly just to give back to the sport that I have, you know, it's given me so much. Like I remember as a little, little girl growing up in a, you know, in a, in an academy, not an academy, but in a tennis club kind of atmosphere where I would go after school, I would play tennis and I would and after tennis we would do fitness and then we go play hide and seek and we would play tag and we would play you know tennis against the wall and we would play games so it was my whole social life of um you know hanging out there and and just seeing everybody there and and you know my parents had their social life too with the other parents and um so it was for me it was more to kind of create that for a younger generation where you see a lot of kids these days you know, without kind of hobbies and, and or, or yeah, kind of hanging out in the streets or hanging out in the park. And, and it, I, I kind of wanted to give that opportunity um, to go to an environment where they can be safe, where they can be in an area where, you know, a lot of people are, you know, focused on sports, focused on tennis, they're in a healthy environment. Um, and I think that was the main the main reason for me to do it uh, was to give back and and to help girls and boys in the area um, who yeah who who feel like you know they they want to try and achieve the best out of themselves uh, through in, in tennis and and whether it is to get to you know the thing is like there's a lot of people who think like oh because we're going to send them to to this academy or this this tennis players or Nadal's academy or Moratoglu's or Patrick's or mine or yours or that it will just then it will they will become successful and but yeah that's obviously not the way it works and um, and <laughs> so you know it's probably more important to teach the parents than to be teaching the kids um, but yeah I think it's it's uh, we try to you know 
for me, it's really important to have a good environment of people who work at the academy, who are passionate about the sport, who are passionate about teaching. And I've never been, you know, focused on trying to, oh, let, let's, uh, let's, um, with the, with the a local other academy or, or in the area, let's try and compete with them. No, like, I really believe that if you have a strong product that you will attract the right people for it. And, um, you know, but it becomes a very, even in that world, I guess it's just people become very um, competitive and get nasty and jealous and, you know, and it's just, yeah, stupid. Like for, you, you all try to help, right? You try to help the kids to become better tennis players and they're like, no, they don't want to come practice at your academy because then maybe, you know, the parents will like it better and let's not do that. And so I just, yeah, I don't have time for it and <laughs> I don't, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I've seen and done too much to worry about those things. Yeah. All right. So one of my biggest disappointments in this sport is that, you know, people really don't get to know the person because only one person wins. Right. And now, you know, maybe one or two get the microphone at the end of the tournament. Right. So you have something, for example, 128 girls in the draw, only two people get the microphone on the last day. So you never really get to know how great of a person they are what what you're know, like, you know, what, what sort of is inside their head. So I have like some questions that are like tennis questions. So you're gonna ask me Clay. I'm gonna ask you. Oh, okay. And you gotta you got, you got just give me your little, off the top of your head, Joanne. All right. And I know you got a roll. So this is like our last All right. little thing. All right, so grass or clay? Grass. Montreal or Toronto? Oof. Uh... Toronto. <laughs> Auckland or Brisbane? Brisbane. Uh, court 18 or court three? At which Grand Slam? Wimbledon. <laughs> oh. uh, court 18. Venus said, center court. Never court three or never court 18. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, Miami or Indian Wells? Indian Wells. Ah, um, roof open or closed? It doesn't matter. I, I don't care. <laughs> um, hotel or Airbnb? Now that you're traveling again. Um, hotel now. I've, hotel I've now. done. I've done enough making my own beds and making my <laughs> breakfast. If I go to a tournament now, I want to, I want to get, I want to go to a buffet and pick my breakfast. And <laughs> <laughs> Team dinner or eat solo? Oh, both. I like my solo time. Okay. Yeah. Restaurant or room service? Same thing, both. Um, there's nothing greater than like an like laying in your bed, watching a tennis match or the night session that's going on and just being able to push the button and order, you know, a meal and, and kind of just relax. Um, so I like both. I mean, there's a different time for both. Okay. Uh, first, serve first or receive? For, serve first. Okay. Now, you, you don't strike me as a superstitious person. To the right of the chair or to the left of the chair? That I don't, but I am superstitious about other things, but not about that. Oh, I gotta I gotta ask you that one. <laughs> uh, on the airplane, sit together or sit separate? What's your team? Together. Okay. One hundred percent. Best person you know. 
that's not in the top 100 or and from your era best person from your era that was not never in the top 100 that was never in the top 100 that's a hard one too <laughs> i mean i'm gonna say my friend caroline i was about to say caroline uh, right? yeah. heads or tails when they flip the coin heads heads uh Grand Slam champion or world number one? Which one would you have? I don't know. That's really hard. <laughs> um, I was number one before I became a Grand Slam champion. So I dealt with the ton of questions about, oh, do you, you know, do you think you deserve to be number one? And, and you know, all that stuff. So um, ah, I don't know. I think today, Grand Slam champion, you get more money than world number one. If you get number world number one without having to win a Grand Slam, I think you you make less than if you win a Grand Slam and you're not number one. I know, but I mean, is it is it is it it's about the prestige, right? It's is it about the money? Like <laughs> well, for this know? generation. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, that's I mean, if that's the that's if that's the priority, that's kind of I mean it's important, but it's shouldn't be the drive. I don't think, um, to me, becoming number one for, as a child, that was such a, like a, an amazing achievement for me when I watched Steffi and Monica do it. And, and I saw them compete against, you know, Arancha Sanchez and, and like seeing them and then becoming number one and holding the trophy out that, that to me was such an incredible moment, um, to see as a little girl, so when I became number one, and I remember to this day, like it was in LA, I beat Lindsay. And I remember the first match I played as the number one was in Canada. And when they announced me as the world number one, it, it's, there's no, like, I don't know, the, the connection to my childhood and seeing that. And it was such a amazing, proud moment. Um, yeah, so they're all, they're all great achievements, you know, on, on, on their own, but yeah. All know. right. Last two Wimbledon whites or colored clothes. Let me just say, I would only wear white at Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> so I love, I love it there, but nowhere else. <laughs> all, right. all right. This one, you probably have never experienced this because you are like the nicest person and everyone has said that. This generation says it about you. Your generation says it about you. <laughs> Proud for you or against you? Of Which course. would you prefer? Yeah, for me. Yeah. Of course. You Have you ever been on the court where the crowd was against you? Yeah, of course. Like in Fed Cups and everything, you know, when you're saying like. Of yeah. course. Or no, but I've played matches where, you know, it, it's, yeah, I'm playing you know, against an American at the States and, and, you know, it's not like it's extreme, but it's, it gets, yeah, but that's, it's fun too. You know, I remember going to my dad's soccer games and even when he was a coach, like the, you know, the opposite team, like, you know, cursing him out and like, it, it becomes like you, yeah, it, it, it drives you too. Um, you know, I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me. Well, thank you, Kim. I know mom duties are waiting. It's pick a school pickup time. For me and for you, actually. Oh, yeah? What, what, yeah, what grade I, I, are yours in now? Uh, four, six, and 16. So pre-K four, first grade, okay. and then 16. 
I have a pre-K four too, so. Oh no, they were, I remember they were swimming and they were, they were like, get it in. They were looking forward to catching up. So we got to like arrange a play date. I had the teacher come, come I had Blake's teacher come to me um, after school last year. And, and she's like, Blake asked me why the girls in his class don't have boobies yet. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, last week we got the call. The teacher was like, um, KJ was kissing all the girls today. And we're like, and we asked him, KJ, were you kissing the girls? And he was like, they asked me to. They asked me to kiss them. So I kissed them. I was like, like how many girls? He was like, five. I was like, oh man, you can't with COVID. You can't, you know, you can't be kissing the girls. You know, their daddy's going to come want to. Yeah. Well, they asked that's, me to. That's what I asked Blake. I'm like, Blake, why did you ask the teacher about the, the girls' boobies? Said, well, well, you have boobies and Jada has boobies, but the girls in my class don't have any boobies. Uh, <laughs> so I said, well, they kind of start growing with, as you get older. And then it, my other son took it to a different level. He said, well, daddy's boobies are growing too. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian was like, next day he went to his work. I just like, I need to work on my chest. <laughs> like this right, is right. awesome. <laughs> so it, you know, it became a very fun car ride. That is very hard. <laughs> I know, right? Those questions from the foreign, they're so oh simple. They're so like, oh. you start looking at your spouse and be like, who's going to answer this? <laughs> yeah. You know, what you got? Brian goes like this to me every time. I know, right? You got it. <laughs> That's yours. Well, this has been the tennis.com podcast. I want to thank uh, my friend, one of the nicest people to ever play this game, probably the best ball striker, past, present, and future. Uh, Hall of Famer and person I'm looking forward to going to dinner with next week. I got I got the restaurants all lined up for us, Kimmy. Uh, Kim Clashes, thank you so much thank for joining us on the show. I and can't wait I to see you. you next week. I miss you. I love you. Can't wait to see you. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. All right. My pleasure. See you soon. Bye.